ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Justified. I'm David Coford, as always, and I'm sitting next to my man, Riley Trudell. Riley, what's going on, man? What's up, buddy? How you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. A little rainy. That's okay. We're going to push through today. Um, you actually brought me this guest today, which is kind of, I love it, <laughs> because it saves me some words, let me tell you. And also, you brought a very special man with us today. He is a sergeant first class in the United States Army. I, he's done it all, honestly. You know, he's releasing a book right now. He's an animal lover. Please welcome Sergeant First Class Sean Tobias Ambrose. Sean, what's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? Not much. I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Another day. There you go. Exactly. Well, tell me about it. You're a Dodgers fan, so you must be over the moon right now. Yeah, I'm just LA fan in general. So, it's you know, good, Lakers won it. It's a good Dodgers month. It. <laughs> it is. It is the best thing of 2020 so far. You're having a great. So, how do you want me to address you? Because I know um, I have some Sean, friends in the military. Yeah, you got it. Okay, I'll call you Sean. I know some people in the military uh, who I have friends are like, call me Sir and Sir <laughs> only. I'm like, oh, all right. Please that's... don't call me that. Yeah. Please, <laughs> oh fuck. Please. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you got it, man. Um, so tell me about your book, Ghost of the Valley. What's um, what's that all about? Yeah. So I, so I, I finally wrote a book about my experiences. Um, from my deployments from to Afghanistan. Um, but I didn't want it to be like a biography. I wanted it to be more of um, just kind of like a memoir, just something that's told from my eyes. It's kind of a leadership book, um, how my leadership style adapted based on the leaders that kind of brought me up through the army. Um, and it's supposed to be a good connection between uh, what we consider the old army past generations. Um, so they can uh, kind of understand what our war was like. Uh, it bridges that gap with combat veterans to non-combat veterans so that those who have not yet deployed can have a general understanding so when their conflict comes they can kind of use our experiences and endeavors to hopefully pave their own path and then it hopefully will bridge that gap again with the civilian community so they can kind of remember that uh, although i'm telling the story of two days of my two years over there um, i'm telling the story of two days of other guys as well and there are many like me with even crazier stories um, that need to be heard. Yeah, it is. Um, it's crazy because I'm 23, so I was born in '97, and this is a war that um, we've pretty much ever since I was a kid. Like, you just it's always been there, and it's still kind of going on. We're starting to get, resolve it, but it's still there's remnants popping in and out. Um, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I just turned 32 last week, the okay. week before. Okay, yeah. right, so you're kind of in like the same. I would say same age group around there. I'm getting there. You're yeah. not a dinosaur yet, so we're we're good no. on that. <laughs> uh, so, what is a sergeant first class, if you don't mind me asking? I know very little about the military. Um, I think it's a great topic, but okay, same, same here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's I guess I I mean it's considered a senior non commissioned officer rank. Okay. Um, you know, I I really only have technically like two more promotions to go before I kind of like cap out. Okay. Um, at the, the non-commissioned officer level, so. Okay, there you go. There you. Go. I like. And are you still are you still enlisted, or you're you're done? You're just retiring, sitting mm-hmm. back. No, I'm I'm currently serving at Fort Leonardwood, um, where I, uh, I'm an instructor for the military police senior leader course. Okay, there you go. That's a that's a big title right there. Not too bad. Yeah, sounds fancy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what's what's military policing like? Um. I didn't even know personally there was military police in a military, I just kind of figured, all right, everyone just does their thing, you know? 
No, you'd be surprised what kind of stuff happens on a military installation. It's sometimes worse than, you know, the civilian side uh, as far as just the things that, I don't know, that kind of go on um, or that could go on. But, I mean, uh, relatively, our MPs do a damn good job at, at keeping our installations safe. And, I mean, there's just a lot of stories you just don't hear about of MPs actually putting foot to ass. Um, but, yeah, I, I wish I could tell you more. I, I just I, I have very little experience. I'm probably like one of the worst MPs. Um, there's more privates out there with more law enforcement experience than I do, but that's just kind of how my career paved, paved its path. Um, I was designated a medic, my first deployment and okay. a designated squad marksman, my second deployment, as well as a medic. Cause our medic had to, had to leave Afghanistan. So, um, I, I have some other skill sets, but yeah, I, I wish I, I wish I did have more law enforcement experience. I just, just didn't get that. Yeah, no, that, that is good too. So what made you want to join the army so to say was it um like was it just that post high school thing You're like oh, i've always wanted to do this do you have family that served uh my grandfather served in korea okay. um but other than that you know my my cousin's a firefighter uh, my uncle was a swat police officer helicopter pilot for the swat team um but no one really in the military uh but yeah i i joined for my high school sweetheart oh man and uh yeah, and then she broke up with me when I signed the contract, so I was no kind of way. stuck. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it, it led me down this path, and did, uh, I mean, I kind of always one... always wanted to serve. Is yeah. She she wanted you to do it, or she was doing it, and you were like, "I'm coming too." <laughs> no, no, no. She was a year ahead of me, so she was like in like going to be a nurse, and she was you know just smarter than me in general. Um, and I already kind of had a plan for her life, whereas I was. Graduated high school and I didn't know what I want. I was working at Vaughn's grocery store there in LA. Go. So um, I really didn't have a plan. So she was like, what's your five-year plan? And I was like, oh, I think the army's handing out five-year plans. And I surprised her and she's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm leaving you. And I was like, but I signed the contract. <laughs> it's not a bad route to go on. Um, I know a lot of people, no, no. I, I tried to join the Air Force a couple of years ago. Um, we all did. Yeah. All did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I made it to MEPS, and then I figured out, like, I had a knee problem. I was like, okay, so that, that's not going to work out. But uh, tremendous yeah. respect for what you guys do. I mean, seriously, it's not it's not an easy job. Uh, do you think – so, like, when you signed the papers, did you think, like, oh, boot camp's going to be easy? Or were you just kind of, like, uh, like, just going through it? Yeah, I just kind of was just going through it. I mean, obviously, we watch YouTube videos trying to get an idea of what it would be like. And you kind of already know from movies and stuff, but you don't really know to the extent. Um, but I, I, my, my basic training experience was a little bit different from the others, others, because, uh, I came in pro just prior, like maybe 10 months prior to the surge that president Obama called for Afghanistan. Okay. And I went through a program that no longer exists. It, they called it amps, which was a advanced military police school or system. And essentially 12 of us out of 180 man or 200 man company, woman as well, company got chosen um, and 12 of us essentially got attached to one drill sergeant and that one drill sergeant trained just every day and she front loaded us in front of training. And so we kind of sped through basic training faster and we graduated about a month sooner so we could get to our units and deploy. Oh, wow. So mine was a little different. My experience was just different. Yeah. Now you said movies and stuff gave you expectations. I got what movie slash show did it the best and what did it the worst? Like what, what movie do you know is like, that's, um, that's like war. Like, I mean, the only movie that I could think off the top of my head that really shows like the boot camp basic training experiences, like Full Metal Jacket. Everyone already kind of knows those scenes. It obviously wasn't 
to that extent, I, I mean, if I could go back, I could probably in, in that moment, it felt like it, yeah. but you know, it wasn't to that extent. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. It was doable. I think it's doable for anyone to do. You just got to not quit. So, yeah, I feel like a lot of it is willpower. Just kind of putting your head to it yeah. and saying, Hey, what, let's accomplish the mission. So to say, um, I wanted to ask you, so you were, was your whole entire military experience in Afghanistan? I'm sorry, say it again. Was your whole entire military experience in Afghanistan? What do you mean? Like, uh, like, well, did you, uh, did you have any tours anywhere else, like Iraq, or were you just oh, stationed in Afghanistan no, for yeah, most yeah. of the time? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been stationed at Fort Carson for five and a half years. I deployed twice uh, out of Fort Carson, uh, and I spent two years in Afghanistan. Um, and then I did three years in Hawaii. So that was fucking rough. Yeah. Uh, and then I did two years at joint base Lewis McCord, Washington. And, and now I'm currently here at Fort Leonard Wood. Okay. All right. So you, so you travel around. That's not bad. Um, okay, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about this. I was reading the story on stripes.com and I was like, there's no way this is real. Like it's pretty much a plot from a movie. It sounds like, um, were you in a, like a huge firefight with like there were rocky cliffs and snipers and you were going through like terrace farms, like trying to save? Is that is that correct or am I reading something wrong there? No, that yeah, that's correct. That's yeah. insane, man. Like how, like there was a, uh, one part I was reading and um, there was an explosion that rocked your shoulder. Um, how how bad was that injury? Because I know you're you said you trained as a medic. Um, mm-hmm. Like how, just how was that whole experience as a whole? Like obviously wasn't great, but uh, did, what was your expectations going into it? Being uh, a medic in general. Uh, just that day, I should say. I mean, that that day was something you just can't train for. Yeah. You can't really prepare for it. Um, you kind of never really hope for days like that. Um, but when you, and I talk about it in the book, uh, there were multiple moments that I admitted in the book that, you know, I just I didn't have good faith, uh, not in my leaders or just just the just the mission in general. I just didn't have good faith that uh, that we weren't going to pay a bigger price um, for going up there. So it, essentially, it was it was a rescue mission that um, the platoon that we were attached to of cavalry guys were were pinned down and cut off, and eight of us volunteered to go up and rescue them. And they were higher up in the mountain than what we thought. We were told it was two hundred on the radio radio static got broken up ended up being almost 2000 um and it was just we had no no medical equipment very like really whatever water we had on us and no food um and so it was just a rescue mission that was very hectic and uh yeah you just don't really train for that i mean i worked on a couple casualties myself i you know we helped carry the my lieutenant who was killed down the mountain and then it was just a reconnaissance mission down down the mountain trying to find a way down and um and then pretty much half the night was taking contact from a village that member at the time bin laden was alive and he had a safe house in this village um right across from us and so um uh, the 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 term broken arrow was called that night so for anyone who doesn't know what that means broken arrow is a term it's a vietnam era term unofficially that uh if it's called on the radio that means we are on the verge of being overran or completely overwhelmed. And if that, we don't get air assets at our location to support us, we're all going to die essentially. Jeez, man. I mean, that is, that's, that is an insane story. I should have said this right at the top, but first of all, thank you for what you're doing, what you've done in the past. I mean, without it, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. We wouldn't be able to go to school, uh, get higher education. So really thank you for protecting us out there. Uh, training, especially training the new people. 
um, the new people like me, the oldies, I mean the youngies, I should say, but uh, seriously, man, it means a lot. Um, so I also want to touch on what is what's a bronze star, uh, the bronze star V, if that if that's the right term for it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's the fifth highest uh, award that you can receive. I mean, with when when there's an valor award attached to it, um, you know, for heroic actions, it's I guess the the term for whatever. But um, yeah, those are those are hard awards that I I, I hate. Uh, they're hard to carry. Yeah. For me, you know, both of them because I, I have two of them, and the, the first one was rough as hell because I was what 18, 19 years old when my commander told me he was putting me in for it. And I didn't understand why, because it was for that incident on the mountain that day. And I just didn't understand because I wasn't the only one on that mountain. So why, like, why was I getting it? And, you know, I, you don't talk to anyone about this. You, you feel embarrassed, you feel shy and shocked and all these other emotions kind of run through you 18 years old and you don't talk to nobody. I mean, come on, you got a, you're a fucking, all bunch of A type personality dudes. Right. You don't fucking talk to them like that. And of course there's just the telephone game and, people have their own opinions and stuff. And it's like, bro, I didn't put myself in for this award. Like, I don't, I don't even want this shit. I just want that day to ne- never fucking happen, you know? Yeah, right. um, and so, I mean, it is what it is, but a- after the years had gone on, I had a lot of supportive people um, to everything. So um, yeah, I, I had a good mentor of mine after I got both the awards. He kind of like, he saw me kind of acting up at work because yeah, I had a real fucking attitude at that point, And I was, just just not being myself and he asked me like what you know what's wrong with you and i told him i said i'm tired of people talking about me talking about these awards they weren't even there on the fucking mountain with us that day blah blah blah. and he he kind of like snapped me out of it and he was just like bro like you need to calm your shit you need to like lead her up you need to understand that you are um you know you 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 are kind of like like you, you carry those awards for other people there's many right. men that have been before right. me that have earned those same same awards and they did not live and so every time i talk about them in a negative way all i'm doing is shitting on the on the awards and and i need to be you know uh, more of an ambassador for them and what they represent essentially uh, i want to touch on another subject here everyone everyone i talk to in the military like oh yeah the navy like like if you're in the army, yeah, it's the Navy's tough. Or like, uh, if you're in the Air Force, yeah, the Army hates us, kind of thing. Is it all friendly competition, or is there something true to that where it's like, no, we're the superior branch? No, no, no. It's it's all friendly. We understand that there's, you know, as a joint force, and we work together as sister services. There's there's no way we can do it alone. So it's always just friendly competition. Yeah. So as you were saying, I mean, with the the three branches working together. Quick question: Do you involve? Is the Space Force? I know that's part of the. Is that an official branch now? Yeah, no, it's an official branch. Yeah, we all wish we were a part of it. There you go. <laughs> Why is there like? Is it just because it sounds it's cool? Fucking Space or? Force, man! Yeah. Why wouldn't you? It's historical. <laughs> I was just hoping that I could join in. There's fucking laser guns or something. I don't know. <laughs> is there a process to join? Like, is there an option to like swap branches? There is, yeah. I don't. I haven't really looked into it, but yeah, I did see there was this message that came across our email that said that if you wanted to join, there's a, yeah, application. You had to meet certain requirements and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, that's an actual thing. I, 
I'm not gonna lie. When I first yeah. heard Space Force, like, there's no way this is real. There's no way. But then, you know, like, there's people actually listening to him. Like, okay, this is a real thing. And then they went and made a show with like Steve yeah. Carell as the head of it, and you're like, all right, well, this can't be real now, yeah. especially. <laughs> um, I would say you're a motivating guy. I mean, definitely looking at your Instagram, it is every day. It's like get up, do something good, uh, play with the puppy. Peaches the dog. How's Peaches doing, by the way? She's fat. Oh, that's, <laughs> quarantine's done it to us all. It's all right. She's good. No, no, she's good. No, Peaches is good. <laughs> that's all right. Um, what would be like uh, the best piece of advice for someone who's uh, either stuck in quarantine or has just had a rough year? I mean, 2020 hasn't been great to everyone. Um, what, yeah. what would your advice be? Just like say, hey, get up and get at it. You broke up at the end. What was that? What was the last part of that question? Oh, good. Uh, what would your advice be for someone just having like stuck in a rut in 2020? Mm-hmm. How would you say just keep, you know what, keep going? Yeah, I mean, I think we're all kind of stuck in a rut in 2020. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, me personally, like, I'm not the most smartest, fittest guy that there is. Um, I just try to find ways to improve myself. Um, and so when 2020 happened and we all got quarantined, everyone's freaking out because they feel claustrophobic to their homes and like they're in a jail cell. But I just found opportunities to um, finish my degree, do college, uh, enhance a skill online, use this technology to our advantage, get on the computer uh, network, talk to people. And I, I kind of was busy with the book as well. But, um, you know, and then obviously gym, whether that's body work, whatever, the, whatever the case may be, just find an outlet. Um, to get your mind off of whatever, you know, is kind of pushing you that negative way. So when did you start the book? Um, So I got here to Fort Leonard in August of last year. And November is when I started it because I started to realize that like my PTSD was evolving to my current situation. Um, You know, when I got back from the deployment, I had been in leadership positions all up to this point. And so I always had soldiers and I was going to the field. I was being kept busy. Um, but I got here to Leonardwood and I'm here as an instructor and I got no soldiers. Like my phone's literally been on vibrate for a year. Um, and I don't have field cycles, rotations, nothing. And so, which is great and all that I could focus on myself, but I noticed that my PTSD started to reopen doors. I hadn't walked through in a long time. And I was thinking about things I hadn't thought about in a long time because I'm in the middle of nowhere in Missouri. And so I have no one really to talk to. I just kind of sit here. My mind kind of wanders. And then I was like, man, I haven't felt like this in a minute. So people had mentioned to me in the past, dude, you should write a book, blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of took it as a compliment, but I, I just didn't, yeah. I didn't want that. I'm interesting enough for a book, like kind of thing. Yeah. But I just also didn't, I didn't want my information out there. I don't, it's, I mean, it's a vulnerable state to really put not only all your information, but your feelings out there, you know, and I don't know, I just, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. And so when it got to November, I was like, I can't take it anymore. I need to put my pain on paper. And I was kind of just doing it for myself. Yep. And I just kind of told the story. There was no chapters. It just was just document of full of emotion. And then I had somebody read it and they were like, dude, this is really good. And I, they threw chapters above the words. <laughs> and I was like, huh. And then, yeah. And then I was lucky enough to have some good friends look over the document and help me adjust it here and there. Because again, I'm, I write like a fifth grader. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, everything else kind of just fell into place. That's awesome. I mean, not so many people could say they've written a book, especially at uh, like early thirties too. I would. No, yeah. When when you were a kid, did you think like oh, I'm gonna write a book? I'm gonna join the army, kind of thing. 
No, I told you I wasn't a smart kid. I got held back in fourth grade. I was not a smart individual. I just, I hated school. I don't know if it was a learning disorder or if I just did not, I just hated being in the classroom. I wanted to be out with my friends and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I got, I mean, I got held back. So I'm, I'm not smart, but I hope to that. I use this as a testament to show, you know, most military books are produced by um, senators, congressmen, officers of the United States military. Very rarely do you see a senior non-commissioned officer or enlisted per someone who walks into a recruiting station because we're deemed the dumb ones. You know, we we couldn't make it to college, so we joined the military. But if, if I could walk away now with the author title, then that will hopefully inspire other younger soldiers to go and not just they don't have to go be an author, but go earn another title. So when you walk away from the military, you have something else besides just soldier on your resume. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree with that. I would also say you're a pretty smart guy. I would say that you're, you know, you, your demeanor is very well put. You know, you wrote a book. You're an instructor now. I mean that that's yeah. that takes some pretty skill to be an instructor. Um, what message would you just give? Guessing, yeah. No, no. <laughs> uh, what message would you give to your younger self? What was that? Give a message to what? Uh, what message would you give to your younger self? Oh, fuck. <laughs> I need a couple hours with my younger self and yeah. have a deep talk with him. Listen, um, man, you're going to see some shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just don't shit yourself. That'd be embarrassing. Uh, man, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I want, I want to say I would tell myself a bunch of different things to do differently, but then they would probably lead down a path that I'm not currently at, and I don't know if I'd want to do that. Right. Um, I think that everything happens for a reason. And I, I mean, I like that where I'm at. I generally have a good friend uh, network, foundation, circle, whatever you want to call it. And um, I try to keep good relationships with everyone that I kind of come across. So yeah, I don't I don't know if I would really change anything. I would probably do better, you know, maybe like small things like maybe eat healthier, maybe work out a little bit more, maybe study a little bit more here and there. But as far as committing myself to doing anything different career-wise i don't i don't think i would tell myself anything yeah I, I agree with that i would say i'm in the same definitely work out that's probably for me uh that's still <laughs> me right now but you know that's another topic for another day um when you're when you're teaching the the youth i would say um how's that like how's how's being an instructor like what do you uh any tactics any uh like what's the mission i would say well, I'm not really teaching the youth. I'm teaching junior leaders and they're like on the verge about to be senior leaders. So these are all staff sergeants about to become sergeant first classes. Okay. So they're in that, but that's a challenge in itself because a lot of them are stuck in their ways. They've got it set in their mind that they, they know it, they know it all. Um, you know, it's a lot of a type personalities. It, it's hard to adjust at first, the first couple weeks of class. And then people start coming around here and there. Um, but all I really, hope to do is to tell them my experiences like when i was a platoon sergeant this is what worked for me this is what didn't work and you know try to hopefully steer them in the right direction so they don't make the same mistakes i did i like that that's i think it's a pretty that's a good answer right there just very well spoken very just like from the heart so to say uh i would say a big uh, i guess debate going on in today's day and ages uh is leadership like is it a gift like, do you just have it naturally or is it something you can actually teach someone? What What's your opinion on that? Again, that's a good question. I don't know because I can't say that I was gifted this naturally. Um, 
I, I didn't serve in any leadership roles growing up. I was like a co-captain of like my junior varsity football team, but like, and what does that even mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that's nothing to an extent. I never served on like a, on a board panel uh, growing up in high school. I didn't show any uh, aspirations to lead the charge on anything. I just kind of was a good follower, shy, quiet kid. So I, I don't know if I had it in me or not, but I had damn good leaders when I came in from my very first company and onward. I, I very rarely had a toxic and shitty leader. They all kind of led me the right direction. Um, and I think maybe that's what built me into who I am and I'm not as shy anymore. Um, or I'm open to talk about certain things. I've always been kind of an emotional person, but, um, I try to use that to my strengths and not my weaknesses, Yeah. Uh, especially in this career field. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I got it naturally, but I damn sure was taught a lot by a lot of good people. If it means anything, I'd follow you wherever you go. <laughs> Thanks man. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, I got a couple more questions here. One of them was when I was talking to a recruiter, um, I mean, from what people have told me, they'll say anything just to get you to sign the paper. Um, was that, what was your experience like with that? Was it very much just sign here and let's go where they actually sit down and be like, Hey, you sure you want to do this? It, it was with the Marines. Marines were just like, you stop being a pussy. Are you going to sign this or not? Yeah. And I was kind of too aggressive for me. And I, I tried the army out and my, my recruiter for the army was a cook. Okay. And so I really didn't know what to take away from that. He didn't really <laughs> see combat. What What is he really telling me? Um, but he was very honest about the job, about what to expect, what was available. He didn't lie to me. So it, it was easy to have that conversation with him and, and kind of pull me in the right direction. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good relationship right there. I know the Marines are definitely, uh, you know, thank God we Not have the them. Marines are bad. I think yeah, it's no, thank think, God we have them. But. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think it's just, it, I think just my experience, I think it was every individual recruiter is different on their yeah. approach. And again, I, I was coming in at like, I don't want to say the height of the war, but it was just prior to the surge and recruiters needed people. Yeah. They didn't have time to deal with people's emotional bullshit. They needed people now. And it's like, are you going or not? You know, and I, I don't really blame them. You know what I'm saying? That was just my experience. That That's what kind of steered me away from the Marines and kind of to the army. Like I said, I had a really good army recruiter, so you know I can't complain. Yeah, it seems like, um, like I, I honestly forget that like Osama bin Laden was alive when you enlisted. Like that was the big thing. Like where is he? He's in the cave or whatnot? Yeah, he's just chilling out in Pakistan. Oh, we were looking for that son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. So like, what I you know, yeah. not getting too specific, but like, were some of the missions like we're like we have intel of Osama being here? Like, let's go get him or not? Not for us. Not. Okay. I mean, me as an MP, no, we weren't. Receiving stuff like that. Now there, you know, we did have local special forces guys that worked out of a compound not too far from us, and and they always were working within that valley that we received that that one big battle one day because again he had a safe house there, and so he would operate out of that safe house, and it was only a couple hundred meters away from the Pakistan border, so he would kind of bounce back and forth because um, we can't cross Pakistan border, so it was easy for him to maneuver in and out and not really get caught. Um, but yeah, no, no one ever really came to us and were like, Hey, this is where Bin Laden's at. Like yeah. <laughs> they're, they're calling the fucking, the big guns they are calling the special operations guys for that kind of stuff. Yeah, so understandable. Um, I got a bachelor's degree in Homeland security recently. So oh, I nice, taught, yeah, there, Hey, there you go. <laughs> All right, my man. And, uh, one big thing my professor told me was when you're overseas surfing, um, you want the civilians to be your best friends because they're the ones that know what's going on. Were you close with any civilians like that? Did you have any interaction? Yeah. The fucking kids. The kids will tell you everything. Yeah, really? <laughs> oh, my God, yes. I didn't. I so wouldn't. the kids loved – most of the kids – I mean, it's just like younger generation now. The 
the the kids then they love the American dream, the American vision and, and picture. And so I had this kid, his name, well, we called him David. He wanted American names. We just called him David. Understandable. And great, great name, by the way. Always, yeah, David would always come to us before every mission, and, and he, you know, he'd be the businessman. Whatever you needed, food, drinks, Mountain Dew, he'd go get it. You'd give him the money. He'd do the little run-in for you because we couldn't really leave our patrol. So, right. um, yeah, he was a businessman. He was a good kid, and uh, and I, I had talked to him a lot. Because I was a medic that deployment, um, you know, he'd come see me when he had headaches or cuts and bruises and you know, he thought I was giving him like painkillers, ibuprofen, but you know, he thought he didn't know any better. Right. You know, I was like, man, you're going to fucking feel amazing. It's ibuprofen. So, so, uh, so yeah, I used to take care of him, you know, to clean up his little scratches and bruises and stuff like that. And, uh, and then, yeah, I saw him one day and he had like a big, big black eye, a big scar on his face. And I asked him what happened. He said that, uh, and this is normal, but he said that his uncle had raped him oh. and, um, his uncle was Taliban. And so he sat on a brief the night before and he said, I have something to tell you, but I'm scared to tell you. And I was like, well, what's up, man? I like popped open a pop tart from our, you know, our, our yeah. truck and I gave it to him and I sat in there and he didn't want to tell us around the trucks cause he looks like he's giving us information. But, um, so he wanted me to pretend like I was treating him mm -hmm. medically. And while I was, he was whispering to me that there was, you know, on this other side of the mountaintop, there was a like 150, 200 Taliban maneuvering within the next night or so. And so we pushed up that information. My squad leader, Sergeant Brown did. And, um, yeah, the helicopters did a little flyby and no shit there they were. So they did some gun runs and took some dudes out that night. So all because of the kid wanted to tell us some information. Yeah. I mean, that is, I wouldn't even think of that. Like the kid, like the kids would tell you everything. They know I, everything. Yeah. I feel like they'd be like scared to say anything, honestly, like scared to hand well, around. No, they're definitely fucking scared. Yeah. They get, they'll just get executed. But I mean, he, I think he was sick of their shit. I don't blame him. That's understandable. Yeah. I don't, like you said, I don't blame at all for that. Um, Go, David, go. I mean, David's a hero. Yeah. Hopefully Dave's alive still. I hope so, too. Yeah, he, he seemed like a great kid. Um, yeah. yeah, I did. I mean, for me growing up, I mean, Taliban was big, obviously, but I would say, in me and Riley's case, uh, like ISIS was the big the big one there. Uh, were you were you over in Afghanistan during ISIS's? Uh, I know they were mostly in Iraq and Syria, but, I mean, did you yeah, ever so they, they got established in like 2009 and yeah. so um yeah i mean we if you look at i'm sure if you look back on it yeah we historically probably fought against isis what would be isis members they just weren't as big as what they were now or are now mm -hmm. um but yeah they they came about in 2009 and i fought 9 10 11 and 12 over there so um yeah i'm sure we did fight them or whatever but it didn't matter they shoot at us we shoot at them it didn't really matter what their title was so i mean I was I was more honored honestly to meet the Mujahideen. I mean, those are some bad motherfuckers. Yeah. Mujahideens are one of the that whooped the Russians' asses in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Those they're good fighters. You met really them? good. Oh yeah, they'll tell you openly, but they also will tell you we hate you, and they trained the Taliban. But they were like cool about it. They were like, yeah, we're Mujahideen, and we fucking hate you. <laughs> cool. I mean, All right. Yeah, you know, at least they're not front <laughs> with it. You can't go wrong there. Um, I, you know, another thing that I've always learned too is. Um, do you know like what your enemy is over there? Like, if you just spot a guy and it's like, "Yep, that's the that's the Taliban," or because they're not yeah, I mean, wearing like, uniforms, see, you, you can kind of see in their faces, okay, and their, how they dress. Sometimes you know they got the sneakers. Sometimes they got the scars, the dirty faces, the dirty hands, the gunpowder residue. I mean, you could just and you could just tell the way they look at you. Like, you know, even if they're not armed, you're just kind of just walking along you're like, "Ah, these Taliban." Right. Like, you knew. I mean, shit, we'd be sitting with them, with some of them during lunch. Some of them would be the police. 
Really? We train them. We would train them during the day. They would shoot us at night. I mean, that's just the way it was. Right. Yeah, that is. Um, how uh, how big was like? Uh, you said there was like a city or a village nearby. How big was that? Was it a couple thousand people or? No, God, no, a couple dozen. I, I mean, it depends okay. on. Yeah, the the villages that out were so I was in the Kunar province, and the Kunar province has thousands of villages spread throughout the entire province of, of all that the mountain ranges, and the, you know they each one of them kind of has their own little what we would call mayor or whatever you want to call them, but the elders kind of run the village, and you know each place has sometimes if you go deeper into some valleys that people haven't really been in a long time, you know you'll you'll run into certain Afghans that speak a certain dialect of language that even our interpreters couldn't understand. It's just so rare. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of crazy over there how how it works out. Uh, what was like your big, ex- big biggest expectation going into there? Like, um, were you expecting anything big? And then when you got there, like, oh, there's nothing like this. No, honestly, no. I didn't know what to expect at yeah. all because I, I I always wanted to go to Iraq. I mean, that's what I looked at. I looked at all the videos of the army marines in fallujah and stuff like that and the early part of the war when i was in high school and i was like man i want to go to iraq that that's where i want to serve so i never really looked into afghanistan until they told us hey we're going in like 30 days or whatever it was okay yeah and you don't get to choose where you're going i'm assuming right they just tell you where you're going and pack your bags and yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that's understandable uh if you were to go anywhere if you were to choose where would you go where would i go yeah like like to fight I'd go back to Afghanistan. Go back to Afghanistan. What about for fun? Oh, yeah. yeah, what about what about a vacation? How's that sound? I mean, it's a very beautiful place. If it wasn't for everyone trying to kill you every every second, it's a very beautiful place. Yeah, I wouldn't. So. Would you travel right now to Afghanistan? Like barring COVID yeah, and everything? They, they wouldn't let me. Yeah, <laughs> they, they wouldn't let us at all. It's understandable. That's not bad. So uh, let's circle back to your book, Ghost of the Valley. Um so, I mean, you said your motivation to write that book was really just to kind of put your emotions on paper, just to a good way to channel it. Um, did the, cause I know like, uh, we have a lot of issues with the VA here and hopefully that is getting resolved. Um, did they ever like step in and say like, Hey, you know, like, like we can help you write this book or something like that. Like, did they give you, um, kind of like guidance towards that? Or is that just something you're like, Nope, I'm going to do this on my own and we'll see what happens no the va is just a hospital they 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 don't even know i exist i'm a nobody which is fine but um yeah no i initially wrote it i well like i said I, it was i wasn't setting out to write a book i initially just wrote it to put my pain on paper and then when it turned into something that was bigger than what i kind of imagined um you know then i wanted to put my two cents of leadership um, of my leaders before me and some of their names and some things that they did for me. Um, and I, and I just wanted to tell a story, not of what I did, but things that I just witnessed with my eyes. And so I essentially tell a story through my eyes, plain and period, just to kind of put the reader boots on ground so they could kind of get a visual of what it was like, plain and simple. And then in the process, I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to give back to our veteran community and I wanted to make sure that it was done the right way. So, you know, my lieutenant, Lieutenant Parton, who was killed, um, you know, he was the, the platoon leader that we were attached to. He wasn't my organic lieutenant, but, um, you know, he was killed in that battle. And I wanted to ensure that this book gave back in some way. So most of my personal proceeds that I received, which essentially I've been very, very transparent about, is a dollar a book that I get from my publisher. But I send that to the foundation Um you know, whenever I get whenever I get paid, I send it to them. And I always talk about the Tyler Parton Foundation so that people can donate if they'd like to so they can hopefully carry on his vision um, that, you know, that he had set forth with his family and stuff like that. 
And uh, the last chapter of my book provides websites, phone numbers, and resources, just general information for veterans. So if they pick up my book, they have, you know, they have that information. And then at the very end of the book, I made sure that I, I thanked every single mentor, uh, senior and subordinate that has ever served for me by name. And I know I've probably missed a few people here and there, but there's just over probably 200 names in that thing that I wanted to make sure that all those people got recognized. And I, I just want people to, re I want people to know the stories and learn the names essentially. So. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, that's really the fact that you're donating and you even gave everyone kind of a shout out and say, hey, like, you know, here's resources to help. That's that's great, especially I feel like in 2020, um, like people don't really I me personally, I don't really know the best way to help a veteran. You know, like, do I say, like, thank you for your service yeah. or do I, you know, not say anything at all kind of thing? Um, anything is better than nothing, tell you the truth. I mean, yeah. but. I mean, veterans don't do stuff for things. It's just, I think, I think especially for, you know, I'm, I'm speaking for the combat vets, um, you know, I, I, we're just looking, um, I don't want to say what they're looking for sympathy, but it's nice to, re it's nice for combat veterans from the civilian community to, re to receive the sympathy. Maybe not empathy, obviously, um, but just, you know, an understanding that there's, there. I want people to know that you know, and I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about dudes before me, like the old BDU wearing generation guys who crossed the border in Iraq, right. um, you know, in fucking full Seaburn uh, or NBC suits in uh, gas mask. And because, you know, they didn't know what they were walking into in that war and stuff like that. And, uh, and you know, guys that like Operation Anaconda who gave their life during the initial assault of Afghanistan. Uh, like I'm talking about like guys who served before me. I, I want the American public and people who read my book to understand that uh, it, you know, there are people that are just kind of like, they're just made for war and it's kind of, I don't want it to sound sickening, but you know, there's just dudes whose blood is extra thick and they get turned on by the fact that they could go and, and fight for their country. And I know it seems kind of um, like gruesome or, or wrong, but I mean, there's some badass motherfucking Americans that have walked this face of the earth and you should be glad that they're on your side. And I want people to know these, these stories of these people. I love it. I love it, Sean. Uh, where can they find your book? Yeah, so they can get my book um, on Amazon right now uh, as far as the hard copy. Um, and then the digital copy they could find on Nook and Kindle. Okay. And then hopefully mid-December, um, we will have the audio out. Oh. I know that there's, a, there's a, a, a group on the East Coast of blind people that I talk to and they they really want to read the book and so i'm trying to get the audio pushed out so they could they could hear it and they could learn and understand it as well um and and with the audio book we're trying something new my, my publisher paid a guy to read my entire book narrated because he has a, one of those professional sexy voices yeah. and essentially as you read my book when like say a certain battle's going on um there'll be moments where there's like internal dialogue where i'm like thinking to myself like what's going on in that moment and it's all like italicized in the hard copy book. Well, I essentially went to a recording studio nearby and I recorded all that. So I sent it to the guy and he implemented it. So the book will be dual narrated. You'll hear him talk about the battle and then my internal thought will plug itself in. You'll actually hear my voice. That's sick. That's pretty, that's pretty like good thinking right there. I got to say, Sean, 4.9 rating on Amazon. Yeah. And it's not like you only have like five reviews. That's a. <laughs> Listen, it's ranking high, so go out there get Ghosts of the Valley on Amazon right now. Yep, I'll be sure to pick up my copy right after. I've been on a big book craze uh, recently, which I don't know 
how that happened, but uh, <laughs> definitely this is on the next list there. So, uh, Sean, where can they find you on uh, your socials? Yeah, for, for Facebook, they could find me at Sean Tobias Ambries. Um, Ghost of the Valley has its own Facebook page as well. Okay. Um, and then for Instagram, uh, it's Chief underscore Pink Mist. Um, and then people, I, I mean, I check my, my request box all the time. You know, if I'm not friends with somebody, um, people ask me all the time if they could send me their book. Um, I'm more than willing to give my personal phone number and my personal address out to whoever they can send me the book. Uh, and then I will sign it, put a little authentication gold sticker on the cover saying signed by author. I'll send it back. They don't even need to pay me for, for the mail or shipping. I'll, I'll just, I just want people to receive it. So, wow, that is awesome. That is a great gift right there. Uh, well, Sergeant Sean, I mean, hero, I would say, thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Thank you.